The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you this week and in 2017. Woo! I am joined hey, by my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? Hey, buddy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. How does it feel to be back? Uh, did the two-week break or one-week break, how do you sort of define that? We've missed one episode. Our, uh, our, our, our winter break. Yeah. How, how did it treat you? How are you feeling? Oh, I completely forgot we did this show. Um, uh... Hey, it was good. We uh, we spent New Year's together. We did. It was on, great. Uh, yeah, I was w- with you and uh, your family at uh, Bayfront Park for uh, the Pitbulls New Year's Eve Revolution. Absolutely. What VIP. A so posh. Yes, we were with all the beautiful people of Miami. Yeah, we did not fit in at all. <laughs> nope. Not our cr- def- not Definitely not my crowd. You actually work with a few of those people. Yeah. Me, though, I'm just like... Okay, all right, I'm here. My clothes never feel cheaper than when I'm at a party like that. Oh, I felt like a schmo. I mean, it's just bad. It's like, yeah, you, you know, JCPenney just does not get the job done <laughs> Pennies. at a venue like that. Well, at least it wasn't Gimbals. Gimbals. <laughs> Some of those things I purchased were, I were wearing were so old, they may very well have been bought at Gimbals. And they bought them secondhand from Montgomery Ward. Yeah, or uh, Byron's. That one I don't that, know. Well, that's kind of a local reference. I don't know if, like, was Jay Byron's... I don't even know what you're talking about. Really? No. You don't remember, like, like it, was, it was known as Byron's, and it was known as, um, oh my god. Yeah, Byron's, man. It was like a big local clothing store. I don't, I don't remember this. Listeners, if you're from Miami, because I don't think these, I don't think it was popular outside of Miami... If you remember Byron's, it was a clothing store. Like, it was the back-to-school shopping destination... For people, you know, 30 and older when we had to go back to school. Anyway. I, I don't remember this. Yeah, Byron's this, this talk. Is, this is what people were missing. Sounds dubious at best. Uh, you're going to look it up on Wikipedia. Anyway, um, if you know what Byron's is, email us, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Or uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan, K-A-I-R. Follow Dave at MetalDave85. Yep, that's right. We don't, You know what? In fact, I don't want any... Because we, we normally say to contact us if you have questions for the show... Uh, if you want us to discuss something, either music industry or pop culture related, but screw it. I don't want to hear any communications this week unless they involve the Bi- Byron's. whether Byron's existed. I need to prove David wrong here. This is a thing it's, or it was a thing. It, I now think it's you're gone. just confused because you're, you're like on this Byron's tip. Maybe you're confused because last night you went to a Bruins game. The that's Panthers true. And Bruins. Maybe that's what you're getting confused by. Which I also Bruins. saw with you. Yeah. I just said we went. Yeah. So you don't have to say we also, you also. Well, cause saw we did. I'm, I'm just saying that. Ever since we started this podcast, I find that we spend less and less time together outside of oh no, a studio. It's, it's actually yeah, it's become that it's like usually just like a once a week thing, and also either I'm busy, you're busy, so we're not texting that much anymore. Right, Our and friendship so, is dying. And well, I mean, yeah, it's it's just becoming sort of a begrudging professional yeah. affiliation. Even though I'm not getting paid, that's true. So you know, what's up with that? I'll pay you twice as much as what I'm making for this. How about that? Ah, damn it. <laughs> but, yeah, um, we went to the uh, Panthers of Bruins last night. Uh, it not exactly. Did not a, go uh, well. Yeah, which sucks, too, because, like, your your sister-in-law is from the Boston area and, like, a big Bruins fan. Yeah. She's rubbing it in last night. This is going to be a bad sports weekend for South Florida. You know what? 
This episode is currently being recorded at 10.30 in the morning on Sunday. So the Dolphins have yet to play the Pittsburgh Steelers mm-hmm. in the wildcard game that's coming up in two and a half hours. And by the time the listeners start downloading this, the game's going to already have happened. Yeah. But I'm just going to go ahead and say we're going to lose this game today. We're do- No, Dave. Dave. I mean, no, I have no faith. Yeah. But then again, also, I you know, I've been waiting for them to like, suck the entire year. I don't know. I guess, I guess that's the thing. I still just, you know, they 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 tricked me so many years. And I'm just being used to being tricked as a South Florida sports fan that I still I'm still dubious of it all. No, I feel no trepidation about just saying it right now on this podcast that I'm going to just pretend as if we're recording this at like four in the afternoon on Sunday and just say the Dolphins have lost this game and what an awful sports weekend this has been for us because we watched the Bruins uh, the Bruins beat the Panthers last night mm-hmm. and now we're going to watch the Dolphins lose to you're not Pittsburgh. a more maniac is that a thing are they calling Matt Moore more maniacs we have our backup quarterback in the playoffs we're going to have to play Ben Roethlisberger no I, I just made that up oh I, but it sounds like something that should be like in the end zone, like Moore's Maniacs, right next to Wake's Wahoos. What, but why are you sort of stretching it out? Why can't it just be the Morniacs? That sounds like fans of Marty Morningwig. That's not at all. It's <laughs> not at all what it sounds like. It sounds like to me. And I'm not even quite sure who he is. Marty Morningwig. He's a coach. He's a coach, right? He's, he's sure some kind who. of sports figure. I'm not even sure what sport he coaches. No, it's football. But he's a sure football he's still coach. in the league. Who knows? We're a music business podcast, by the way. Good start. Allegedly. Allegedly. So we've already told people how to contact us, so we can go ahead and skip through that. Uh, our guest in the next segment, uh-huh. excited to start off 2017. Oh, yeah. Jonay Williams. Jonay Williams, entertainment lawyer, founder of Artist Empowerment, a platform dedicated to empowering artists through entrepreneurship. She's going to talk to us about, you know, whenever we have these entertainment lawyers on, they give us some great advice about avoiding legal pitfalls as an artist, which is good. And I'm not discounting that. But she's also going to talk to us about managing burnout in your, in your music career. This is something she counsels artists about. She's mm-hmm. dealt with burnout in her own career. And I think in 2017, all the artists listening out there, we should all, I shouldn't say we as if I'm one of them, yeah. all of you, because I'm tone deaf, um, all of you should dedicate yourself more to taking care of yourself. And if you're going to run your own operation, you got to make sure that, you know, body, mind, soul, that everything is firing on all cylinders so mm-hmm. you don't burn yourself out. And that's what Jonah Williams is going to talk about us and talk to us about in the next segment. You see, I got you a, a Christmas present sitting there on your desk, buddy. Yes, you did. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, you got me a nice, actually, a Panthers mug and a Dolphins shot glass. I like how the shot glass, I guess, is that to like the drown the sorrows later on? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The the that's exactly what it's for. We got some hard liquor from when we absolutely are going to lose to Pittsburgh in yeah. two and a half hours. Now, yeah. Um, during two episodes ago, when I yeah, when I you weren't here and yeah. I was closing out twenty. But, but hold on a second. You 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 like my gift? I got you right. I because I yeah I got you a gift. You got me a gift. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? That's you can you can see it here, the listeners. You can't see it, but it's nice. I'm I'm holding it up right now. Look look at the craftsmanship, the detail. I'm not, no, no. The gold leaf. No, I'm, I'm not going to let you skate by on this. There's no damn gift here. Okay, I, it's I not, got you a gift. There's no gift on my side of the table. All right, I, I forgot to bring it today. Actually, it's funny. And even yesterday, I was thinking, like, maybe I should just bring it tonight when I know it. Because I realized I just left the house kind of in a rush. Yeah, you, I've seen you twice this weekend. You had two opportunities to get me this gift. I'm not so sure that you forgot this gift at your house versus you forgot this gift at the store where it's still sitting on a shelf because you are yet to procure it. 
No, it's, it's it, it exists. It's in my room. So you're like regifting me something that somebody gave me? No, you I'm saying it's in my room. Like, here's a Lego set that no. you know, I got for my birthday when I was eight. Enjoy putting. No, uh, I'm not going to give you that. <laughs> it's mine. I'm not giving you one of my ad ads. Get out of here. Yeah, screw you, buddy. <laughs> Get your own, jackass. <laughs> um. No, it's just yeah. I forgot my water bottle too. So you know, I brought. I forgot two important things. One more than the other. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Because this gift has actually been sitting here for two weeks because I had gotten it for you and it was sitting on this desk when I recorded the last episode of 2016, which you weren't here for. Mm -hmm. And I had predicted that you wouldn't know that I had got you the present because you don't listen to podcast episodes you're not in. So and did you I actually schooled hear you. That? Yes, because then I mentioned on Twitter the fact that I did get you something. I shamed you. And you did, in fact, I listen you. to that episode. I publicly shamed you. Is that the first time you've listened to an episode you're not in? No. I listen to others. Really? Yeah. Because you've told me before, like, you will, like, because you love listening to you, as I do. I enjoy listening to you as well, so I understand. But, like... I also love listening to me, Ryan. In fact, I need you to shut up so I can listen to me some more. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I listen. Not all the time. Well, it was a good episode that week, too. It was Mandy uh, yeah. Harvey, super inspiring. Very much so, yes. I mean, she, she's the coolest. Anyway, um... A lot of cool stuff to talk about. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I look forward to getting the gift that you're going to get me probably sometime in March. Because you're going to do you want me like as, when I leave here, just grab it and come back and give it to you. You're about you're about 10 minutes away. I'll just not filibuster 10 for minutes. 10 minutes. It's not even 10 minutes away. Five minutes. I'll filibuster. Oh, no. You, oh, wait. Oh, yes. You want me to leave right now? No, I'm recording. just. Yeah, I was. I was. I'll that's do, what I was intimating. But no, 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 no. We have okay, a podcast fine. to do. Right. So a couple cool things to talk about here. The first. uh you know, because, you know, occasionally we like to talk about the music industry in this segment. Mm -hmm. um, first, from the DIY Musician blog, one of the friends of our show, Chris Robley. We've mm -hmm. had him on the show before. I actually own his T-shirt. I mean, not actually his T-shirt, but a T-shirt with his name on it. Wow, you probably shouldn't steal people's shirts. Oh, yeah. But, um, and a quick plug for Chris Robley. His T-shirt's really comfortable. I mean, if you're the kind of person that likes to get artist merchandise and you're you know, not sure what to get of Chris Robley's. Get his shirt. It is just, oh. it feels nice. I'm a fan of his robes more than anything. Wow, okay. <laughs> um, Thank you, board op person. <laughs> so, he had a great article in the DIY Musician about four things I would have done differently in my successful music crowdfunding campaign. Okay. So, uh, back in... Was midway last year, he had finished a, he did his first album in like five years and he crowdfunded it and it went very well. He, he funded the project and then some, because everything Chris Robley does is pretty gay. He is one of the best, you know, indie artists out there in terms of running his career effectively. But even he had the willingness to check his ego at the door and say, here are some things that if I had another crack at this, I'd do differently. And a couple of his pieces of advice were interesting because there are things that I have never thought of. Oh. And in fact, are even a little different than what I've written in my own book about crowdfunding. So Ooh. this is like some hot off the presses, new material with crowdfunding. Fresh. So if you're interested in crowdfunding, which I hope many of you indie artists are, because it's a great way to sort of empower yourself, cut the strings of, you know, getting big content providers to support you and ultimately control you. Crowdfunding is great. Websites like Kickstarter and, and Patreon can, you know, really set you free in your career. And so you want to learn the best new insight in crowdfunding. And mm -hmm. so a couple of things that he talked about. One, if he could go back and do it again, he would not spend as much time creating the campaign video. So from the article, uh, he talked about how he spent 
a ton of time and resources making a really professional, really expensive video. And that's something I even write about in the book. And, and, and I'll say that was uh, very early on. We discussed the campaign video as sort of that's the, your first intro really to possible people. And it's like, you know, make sure you spend some time on it and everything. We know we didn't say go overboard with it because obviously, you know, resources are scarce. Yeah. But it was something very important right. that you needed to worry about. Right. You got to manage your resources effectively. But at the same time, in the book, I, I quote uh, Eric Sussman who was the manager for Amanda Palmer, who said, if you are going to spend money on any video you make as an artist, let it be the crowdfunding video. Mm -hmm. It is your window to the world. But Robley has a little corollary to that because he says, as long as my campaign video, or I should, let me take a step back here. He says uh, that in the end, about 95% of his contributors to his crowdfunding campaign were already friends, family, and fans. Like, he had already built the fan base. Mm -hmm. And so, as long as his campaign video didn't look like crap, they were going to contribute. Like, it, like the, the video wasn't going to make or break. He had right. done such a good job of building a strong tribe of devoted fans through his music and his work with uh, CD Baby and DIY Musician Blog and Podcast that he didn't need to have some amazing groundbreaking video to get donors. And so... He, you know, he's saying going back, he would have delivered a much more simple message, still an effective video, but he wouldn't have wasted so much time learning how to use Final Cut Pro and having a bunch of jump cuts and making this thing oh, look wow, really yeah. expensive and stuff. Just he would have just, you know, had a nice video with him talking on his phone and just deliver a direct message to his fans. And what I'll say to that is, I think it ultimately depends on your approach. If what you're trying to do is just really reach out to a strong tribe of fans that you've already developed, then yeah, maybe you don't need to go overboard on your video. But if you're trying to reach outside of that circle, there's something to be said for creating something that maybe not as expensive, but is going to go viral. Something that's unique and interesting that makes people go, oh, this is a funny, interesting video. Let me share it on Facebook. And now you're building your fan base out and you can ultimately get more donors that way. Yeah, it sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, but definitely. And yeah, not having to worry about Final Cut Pro. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's a bulky software. It's a very expensive software. Like when I read that, I was like, dude, Robley, yeah. you make yourself broke. That's And it's kind of tough to use, right? Isn't it kind of a tricky I platform? mean, it's it's a professional editing tool. Yeah. The pros use it. It's nothing to really mess around with just as a weekend warrior. <laughs> exactly. And so, and here's another one. And I know you don't like it when I do lists. So I'm only going to name this other one because I thought this was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, he said he, he also said that if he could go back and do his crowdfunding campaign again, he would have made private Facebook messages a bigger part of reaching out to his fans. Because normally he just sort of mm -hmm. you just email people out, you post things on Facebook. Yeah, and everyone who's like subscribed to the page or whatever gets to read it. Yeah. Bingo. But he says if he could go back, he would have messaged fans directly. Hmm. And he writes from the article, if I remember correctly, I think I was about 50 to 20 days into my campaign when I realized that the most effective thing driving pledges was private messages to my friends on Facebook, not followers on my band page, friends of my personal profile. And he actually got a 25% pledge rate mm -hmm. by messaging fans individually. So it was time consuming because you got to be saying, hey, what's up? How's it going? How's yeah. the wife? How's the kids? Can you donate to my campaign? But it was effective. I mean, Getting a 25% rate, you know, pledge rate on anything you do in a crowdfunding campaign is really good. Yeah. And one of the things he talked about is you want to personalize that message, though. Like, you don't want to cut and paste to 500 of your fans on Facebook because people are going to know that that's not unique to them. Yeah. The only thing is, though, were they like his friends' friends or just like Facebook friends? He says his personal friends. So, like, he was reaching out to people on his personal page, not just his Facebook fan page. But I guess you could do both. Okay. 
No, because I'm just thinking, I mean, it, it, I would hope then that his personal friends are giving him more money than the stranger on the street that just follows him. I would hope so. Yeah. So I guess do that, but obviously I guess it's very hard to, yeah, just individually message, like I said, 500 people, right. maybe 1,000 people, whatever it is. It's time-consuming, and it's tough to, like, reach out to your friends and say you want them to contribute to your campaign, like, you know, to, you know, kind of get them on board. Like, people are always annoyed. Like, you always get that one annoying friend that you knew from actually we're dudes so we don't really have to worry about this but actually no we have our own version of this but i've heard like friends of mine who are girls complain that there's always that one friend from high school who you haven't mm-hmm. talked to since high school yeah who gets sucked into that mary Kay cult oh yeah and then they message you for the first time in 15 years saying hey how's it going how's the family uh so um you know i like cosmetics do you and, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And as guys, we have our own version of that, but I think it's Shakeology. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny, or Herbalife, or whatever. Herbalife, yeah. yeah. But no, I, I, so I have something similar because I've got this friend that um, wrote a book, and he is always hounding me to buy his book. And basically, he's just, it's essentially just like, hey, dude, can I have $20? And I'm like, ugh, God, dude, like, have some self respect for yourself, you know? I mean, that's just, it's, that's, it's not a good, it's not a good way of doing things, you know? Anyway, but that's, that's, that's my uh, personal story with it. Yeah, yeah. Just, just this friend of yours. Yeah, just he probably like every week he has some like recorded message about getting his book and. Oh, maybe. I mean, I kind of don't pay attention to him that much. <laughs> I kind of block him out, tune him out. You know. Yeah, I hate people like that. Yeah. Amazon.com. Check it out. Uh, you can also visit BreakTheBusiness.com. It's right there on the front page. Break the business, declaring your independence, and achieving true success in the music industry. Oh, brother. But. But look, you're, you're trying to make a project happen. And uh-huh. I think there is a way for you to reach out to your fans personally, tell them that this project is important to you without coming off like these Mary Kay Shakeology cult members. Mm-hmm. And when you can get a 25% contribution rate like Chris Robley did, that's pretty good. And yeah. so I think that's an important part of any crowdfunding campaign is actually giving it the personal touch. Mm, nice. All right. So now, bit of legal news, Ooh. which means why did you touch me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. Law. Yes, I believe we have an update from a previous story. We do. I'm excited for this about Philip Phillips. Philip Phillips, heir to the Phillips head screwdriver found fortune. You would think, if that's true, he would not need to worry so much about a career in the music business. <laughs> well, you know, he likes to branch out. But it would sort of make sense, though, that if he were the heir to this screwdriver fortune, that his parents would name him Philip twice, because it's like they're so passionate about this invention that helps build so many things. Yeah, like, but at least you know, hey, that that's good for him. At least Philip Phillips is still like uh, is in a name. You don't. I feel horrible for the heir to the flathead screwdriver fortune. <laughs> that kid's had major problems. He's been in therapy for a while. A lot of substance abuse issues. I mean, would wouldn't you with a name like that? Yeah, yeah poor Mark Flathead. That's just the worst. Anyway, you have something you want to say? So, actually this, which has nothing to do with the story, but I've always just been curious. Is it Phillips Head Screwdriver, like P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S, or is it like Phillips, a Philip apostrophe S, Head Screwdriver? Oh. Oh! Or is it Phillips... After the S apostrophe head screwdriver. I mean, it's probably something we could look up. Like a Phillips's head? Well, like... That's interesting. Like, so for example, is it is is the guy's name Phillips, and it's a type of head screwdriver, so it's possessive, so it's Phillips apostrophe head screwdriver. Yeah. Or is, is it... Is it a guy named Philip, 
and it's his screwdriver. Right, apostrophe S head screwdriver. Yeah. Or is it just Phillips head screwdriver? Like, I don't I, know. I, I, you know. Are you high right now? Can, can you just talk for 30 seconds about literally anything you want? Because I can't, I can't get into the story until I figure this out. Okay, you're going to Google? Yeah, go for All it. All right. So I saw Star Wars Rogue One for the fifth time um, over the weekend. No, I'm sorry, on Friday. Um, this was actually the first time seeing it after Carrie Fisher died. And so it's been out for three weeks, so spoiler alert. She shows up at the end, Princess Leia. Um, if you haven't seen it yet and you just got pissed off at me, what have you been doing with your life? It's a, It's been out for a month. Go see it. That That dude, didn't that hit you hard? That hit me hard. So I'm looking up screwdrivers here, Dave. I'm talking about Rogue One, goddammit. Oh, we got it. Oh, wait. Oh, oh. Okay, this is weird. Because now I got it two different ways. Is it like the word fill and like up, like fill up a tank head screwdriver? So here's what I got. There appears to be a two schools of thought on the Phillips head screwdriver oh, subject. Oh, there's, there's a debate. There is. It's, an argument. It's rousing, okay? So I go to Wikipedia... And it says Phillips, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S, space, head, no apostrophe. Uh-huh. Okay? And now I go to homedepot.com. We can all agree. Purveyor of Phillips right. head screwdrivers. We can all right. An expert on the subject. We, there's, that's an authority. One would hope. All right? They go completely off the board. Oh. Phillips hyphen head screwdriver. Boom. Oh. What? Well, on I Wikipedia, mean, is there, does it say who invented it? I mean, yes, Henry Frank Phillips. Okay. Philip Phillips' grandfather, of course. <laughs> so, okay, so we know it's a guy named Phillips, which actually literally, literally doesn't help at all. No. Because it's still, any of the possibilities are open. Damn it. I suppose, well, cause, well, now what's happened is that there's a fourth possibility, because now it could be this hyphen crap that Home Depot's trying to, to foist upon us. Wow. I'm more confused than ever. Yeah, maybe we should just use flatheads. That's damn straight. It's it's obvious what it is. I mean, if you get a small enough flathead screwdriver, does it not do the same thing a Phillips head does? Because well, this begs can... the question then, does that mean the flathead came after the Phillips head? Because they're like, what do we call it? It's like, well, it's it's just it's a flathead. Just call it a flathead. No need to overthink this. Because the guys that invented it was like, you know, Baron von Wolfensteimer or something. <laughs> I gotta call it a Wolfensteimer screwdriver. That's yeah, true. That, does, that doesn't roll off the tongue as well. It's like, hey, son, grab me the woofy out of there. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so all of this is meant to say that six months ago on oh, our Oh, that's podcast, right. We still have to talk about the story. Yes. Uh, this is a follow-up to about episode, what, 38, 34, something like that. Uh, we talked about, as you said, American Idol winner Philip Phillips. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. It's just still funny. Okay. So... Uh, Sued his management company, 19 Entertainment. 19 Entertainment, as many people know, was the producer of the American Idol TV program that no longer exists, but Philip Phillips was a winner on said program. Mm -hmm. He wanted to get out of his management deal with 19 Entertainment. And so one of the things that he alleged... Stay with me, Dave. No, he's just trying to unscrew himself out of that contract. So, Philip Phillips alleged. Yeah. <laughs> this is an important legal matter. A man's career hangs in the balance, Dave. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> you should probably just get a hammer and nail in there. Yeah, just to, 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 and and if you get a level, you can balance things much oh better. Oh my god, dude, you gotta love the level. <laughs> Most phones have those now, so you don't I have love to level. buy one. I love level. All right, so among the things that Philip Phillips alleges, and this is you know unfortunately a problem with many management deals, is that 19 Entertainment was allegedly booking gigs for Philip Phillips, Philip Phillips, which is a big no-no under California law because you mm-hmm. can only book gigs for people. If you're a licensed talent agent, talent yeah. agencies act. So, and also there was a uh, pretty nasty fiduciary uh, duty breach allegedly in this agreement because uh-huh. 19 Entertainment, as you remember, was getting Philip Phillips to perform gigs that only benefited 19 Entertainment. You know, he talks about how he was forced to perform a gig for JetBlue for free. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, to get JetBlue to sponsor American Idol. Mm-hmm. Which didn't do anything for Phil Phillips' career. It but was specifically it, just for the show, big the company, yeah. So that's, you can't really do that. That's a fiduciary duty breach. So anyway, Philip Phillips takes the case to the California Labor Commissioner, who was going to, you know, the idea was he was going to take the case to the Labor Commissioner. The Labor Commissioner was going to void the management agreement because of the Talent Agencies Act violation. Right. And Philip Phillips was going to be free. That was the idea. But 19 Entertainment had an ace up their sleeve, mm-hmm. or rather a bankruptcy up their sleeve. Because you know, American Idol went, yeah, Amer- you know, nineteen recordings went bankrupt, and so as part of their bankruptcy proceeding, which was happening in New York, yeah, they got they said that Philip Phillips owes us money under the management deal about a million dollars. Oh, that's right. I remember this. The whole thing about what's coming first, the chicken or the egg. That's right. He was basically in legal limbo. It's because the bankruptcy court was saying like, "Well, pay them their money," and he's like, "But I can get this money back in this court any in any way." That's exactly to prevail on. bingo. So. Yeah. Right, Philip Phillips was so the 19 Entertainment folks tried to end the California Labor Commissioner proceeding by saying, "No, we have to figure out this bankruptcy thing first. Mm-hmm. And Philip Phillips was like, "What the hell are you talking about? Because if the California Labor Commissioner says the contract is void ab initio, then there is no contract yeah. dispute in New York. But the Labor Commissioner basically stayed the proceeding and said, "No, go fight it out in." <sighs> Yeah, no, it sucked. Well, but that's but that's all six months ago. Okay, what happened? So now? now here's the update. update. So here's the question for you because uh, you know you're you're still reading up on this case. So now I'm going to see if you can predict it. Okay. Ooh. What did the bankruptcy court say? You get two choices. Are they either going to keep the case in New York and not let the Talent Agencies Act proceeding happen yet, which would of course be bad for Philip Phillips, or did the bankruptcy court abstain? And let the California Talent Agencies Act case proceed before this bankruptcy proceeding, which would obviously be better for Phillips. Because I think it'd be hilarious if California says, "No, no, no don't go, don't don't go over here. Go to New York." I want to say it's the latter. The second one, that New York's like, "No, no, 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 don't go over here. Go back to California." That's exactly right. There is a bi-coastal <laughs> litigation ping pong happening yeah. right now. Like, how funny would it be if it goes back to California and California says, "No, no, no." Go back to New York. Fig- figure it out. It's like, didn't I just get you out of here? But it's like, damn it, I've been on hold for six months. This guy tells me to go to this department. This guy tells me to go to that department. You know how they should figure it out? They should just meet somewhere in Kansas in <laughs> yeah. between and just litigate both things at the same time right I, there in Topeka. Which district is that? Is that the fifth district? I in can't Kansas? Remember. I don't know. Oh, by the way, you know Philip Phillips' is a lawyer? What? Hacksaw Jim Duggan. That joke would work better if you actually named a lawyer that was also the name of a tool. Aren't they all? (laughs) 
that was supposed to be a rim shot. I hit the applause, which all kind of worked in a way. Yeah. Wonder how many, how many people know who Hacksaw Jim Duggan is? I know, and you know, so that's fine with me. That's right. So anyway, anyway, all, and all of this is being reported by Her- Eric Gardner and the Hollywood Reporter. That guy gets all the scoops in entertainment law, which is great. But right, so now what's going to happen is the Talent Agencies Act claim is going to be argued first before the bankruptcy stuff happens, which is good for Philip. Uh, well, he thinks. Who knows? We think. Well, no, no, no. They're not going to send it back to New York again. No, this is this is going to happen in California first, and until the Supreme Court just snatches it up. That's right. For some reason, <laughs> and then some like random court in Turkey says, "No, no, no. We're going to do this case. Go to An- go to Ankara now." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And my hope, of course, being mm-hmm. the pro artist guy I am, is that the contract's going to get voided. I'm not optimistic. There's been sort of a trend in California courts lately where if there is an offending provision in the Talent Agencies Act, they tend to try to sever the offending clause but keep everything else in there. Mm-hmm. And But it could very well mean that this could bring Philip Phillips a step closer to getting out of this nasty management deal. But the lesson in all of this is twofold and it's something we talk about all the time. On this podcast, don't get first, don't get involved with a management deal in which a manager says they can book gigs for you. This is a violation of California law. And even if you're in a state where it's not a violation, which can be the case in New York sometimes, it's still not a good idea. Talent booking is a specialized practice. You want somebody who's connected, who actually knows who the bookers are at various venues. You don't want your manager doing this. The manager should be managing your actual career. And if a Prospective manager comes up to you and says, hey, I can book gigs for you. That's somebody who doesn't know the law of their own profession, and you should run <laughs> away from them as fast as you can. Yeah. I think I think Philip Phillips needs a stiff drink after all of this. I think he needs a screwdriver. He's never coming on this show. <laughs> you know what the worst thing is? What? Is... Once you said Philip Phillips needs a stiff drink, I already knew what your damn punchline was. And I was like, just get the damn joke out. Just get it out. But no, you had to pause for effect and just drag it out. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good joke teller's work. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking like, no, no, that's right. We never had him on the show. He's just been talked about on the show. No, we've never, no, no we've never had an American Idol winner of our, on our show. Nor we will did we. have Eric Gardner on the show to talk about this, though. That's pretty good. Yeah. That was a good get. Yeah, anyway. but we're not making a bunch of Gardner puns. Oh, God, no. I feel like I've opened another floodgate. <laughs> no, don't worry, I won't, because he's a friend of the show. So we can't do that. Okay. Philip Phillips, on the other hand. So here's the second lesson. This can be avoided if you approach your management deals as an artist in such a way that you don't make a deal with a manager unless two things. Mm-hmm. I mean, many things, but two things in particular. One, the deal has to be structured in such a way that you, the artist, are the boss. The manager works for you. Mm-hmm. They manage your career. They don't manage you. You're the CEO. You have to be able to tell the manager what to do. If you're ever in a situation where the power dynamic is such, where the manager can tell you to go play JetBlue show for free, mm-hmm. that's yeah. not a good power dynamic. You have to be the boss. And part of that is you need to have the deal structured in such a way where if you don't like the job the manager is doing, you have to be able to fire them. Yeah. It's kind of like straight out of Compton when Ice Cube was uh, telling Easy E, man, like, hey, who does Jerry? Is Jerry work for us or do we work for Jerry? There you go. You know, yeah. That's and that can be such a problem. But you need to. I mean, if this show, if this show stands for anything, 
It's the idea that you have to be at the top of your pyramid. No record label, no manager can be the one that can tell you what to do and how to guide your career. And yeah, you got to be able to fire your manager. And you might be saying to yourself, well, I'm never going to get a manager to agree to those terms. Well, that means you don't have enough leverage. And if you don't have enough leverage to get a manager to agree to those terms, then you're not at the stage in your career where you need a manager yet. What you might need is a really good assistant, somebody to help you manage your schedule or, you know, keep your career on track, but you don't need an actual honest Mm -hmm. to God music manager. If your career is not big enough that you have enough leverage to say to the manager, you work for me. Yeah. And I can fire you at any yeah. time. Someone that helps you put out PR fires, like if you can't sing on New Year's Eve. Oh, by the way, how have we not talked about Mariah Carey? Oh, yeah, that's right. I guess it's a week old. I know, but so it's the first time we've had a chance to talk about it. Very unprofessional. Well, see, I'm on the other side of this. Because, yeah, I mean, everybody's talking like you. Like, oh, she's such a diva. But everything I've heard about what she did that night, uh, you know, she basically got screwed. You know, that her tech equipment was never working, you know, the in-ear monitors, and they kept telling her, oh, don't worry, we'll have it fixed, we'll have it fixed. She went to the sound check, in-ear monitor still didn't work, still didn't work. And then as she's getting on stage, and they did one more test, the in-ear, in-ear monitor still didn't work, and they said, don't worry, it'll be good by the time you get up there. And what she should have said was, well, then I'm not going up there, but, you know, you can't really do that. Oh, well, yeah, or then, you know what, then, what, what, is it ABC? ABC, yeah. Then they should just, like, cut to commercial and get out of there. Yeah. But... This is the first time you've ever had a tech issue in your, like, 20-plus year career. You know, it, it's supposed to just walking around. As a viewer, well, that I didn't view the thing, but then, you know, when I watched the video of it, if I'm in the audience, I'm a viewer, and you're a performer, then at least perform. Do something. Give the audience something as opposed to just angrily pacing back and forth. Be like, oh, I guess this is happening. All right, someone get dipped right here. And there's the dip. Uh, oh, look, there's feathers. Oh, isn't that great? Nothing's working. Yeah. This is a good Mariah Carey impression. Exactly. Oh, I'm just pissed off and bored now. No, well, she probably, do something. She probably didn't think they were showing her at that point. Then scat. Something. Scat. Do something. Well, but she couldn't even do vocal runs because the you know, all she was hearing was the the backing track, or not even the backing track, she didn't get a backing track, but the actual melody being bounced off a bunch of buildings in Times Square, and she couldn't hear a damn thing. And so, like, that's got to be a really frustrating experience. And, and yeah, maybe she should have, you know, I don't know, danced a jig up there. But, like, what are you supposed to do when you're in front of millions of people? None of your sound is working. It's literally impossible for you to sing the song under those circumstances. Rise above. Rise above. Yes. Do you think, like, Aretha Franklin would uh, let that bother her? No. She would have built Probably. out Probably. She was kind of a diva, too. But... Anyway, I bring this up because the one person I do want to praise in this whole Mariah Carey saga is her manager, oh, who I, has been an absolute attack dog oh, for I, her. Oh, I thought it was going to be, say, the dancers. But yeah, they held, to, held together, too. Yeah, to they actually did their job. But she, like... Did they have monitors in the ear to help them move around and dance? No, they were just doing it on the counts. They, yeah, like, they could probably do it silently, because it's you know, they've rehearsed it so many times that, you know, it's just yeah. all about the counts. Oh, oh her no, her manager, oh my god. Dick Clark Productions did this on purpose to get ratings. It's like, what are you talking about? Oh, no, they totally did. They sabotaged the performance. No, wh- no, what I mean is 
Once she did that performance, they could have, in the West Coast broadcast, put something else in there. But they said, hell no, this is like her disaster on live television was good television. So we're going to keep that out there and hang her out to dry. Like, I don't think they sabotaged her on purpose, but I do think they milked it for all it's worth once it happened. Well, you know, they've got a bottom line, too, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, no, but her, her manager was great because she came out like for three days and just pounded the table hard for her. And I bet it's because Mariah Carey can fire that manager at any time because she's got that kind of leverage. There's no way that manager has a deal with Mariah Carey where she controls Mariah Carey. And that's the kind of relationship you need with your manager. Somebody who you control, who you own, who you can fire at any time. And as a result, they will fight hard for you like yeah. this one did. Actually, you know, uh, Lionel Richie is coming down to South Florida, I think it was in a few months, yeah. with uh, Mariah Carey. Of course, not Mariah Carey. He's just going to put up a, a tape recorder on a stool with a microphone, just press play, and that's her part of the performance. <laughs> God, I hate that stuff. Just sing the damn song. You have one job. You're a singer. Eh, do it. Do you want to get out of this segment? You're <laughs> so mean to Mariah Carey. I'm not She's mean. a national treasure. I'm sorry. I, I just her. torpedoed our chance to get Mariah Carey on the show. What if you did? Yeah. What if she was listening and she heard me stridently defending her and she's like, oh, break the business. I kind of like what they're doing. And you come out here, oh, learn how to sing, Mariah. And she's like, oh, the hell with this. I'm going to go be on, you know, the DIY Musician podcast, which is a good podcast, too. But, yeah. but now we lost her because you had to get the joke in. Yeah, I feel good. Jonay Williams up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. She is a business strategist, consultant, attorney, and speaker from New York City who has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Black Enterprise, and the Huffington Post. Her work focuses on providing artists, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders ways to successfully navigate their careers while also providing assistance with business and intellectual property matters. In addition to her legal practice, she is also the creator of Artist Empowerment, a platform dedicated to empowering artists through entrepreneurship. You can find out more about her work by visiting Jonay Williams, that's J-O-N-A-Williams.com and artistempowerment.co. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonay Williams is on the Break the Business podcast. Jonay, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, great to have you here. Uh, it is uh, quite a joy to have a fellow lawyer on the show. Uh, yes. It's, uh, <laughs> it's you know, always nice to get another Esquire on the other side of the table. And of course, uh, someone like you who has uh, helped so many artists move their careers forward, you always have a welcome place on this podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a great opportunity to be here and to be able to talk to you and your audience. So thank you. Oh, bless you. And one of the things I think is cool about you is that you have such a, you know, a a nice diverse array of experience. You you have lots of work on both the business and legal side of the music industry. Um, Your work is quite interesting. And 
your work started with you being on the creative side of the business as a singer. Can you give us some of the highlights of your journey that have brought you to your current work today? Yes, I can. And it's funny because I don't know if other people would call them highlights, but for me, it was it was a really good way to um, to get to where it is that I am. So I started off as a background vocalist and I was working with um, different independent artists and engineers and um, and independent record labels and things like that in Atlanta. And I um, was told that I would be credited and compensated with, you know, for my work and I wasn't. Um, and my, my voice got um, put on various different albums and on um, different songs and my lyrics and all of those kinds of things happened. But, you know, everyone um, was telling me that I would be paid and credited and that never happened. And at the time, being a young person, I didn't know what was um, available to me in terms of the, the legal aspects of what it was that I could do at that time. And so it um, it ended up I didn't realize at the time, but it I realized later on that that was what put me on the path of wanting to empower other artists. So I I have had different types of um, jobs in my in 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 my career as it relates to helping and working with artists. And what I realized is is when I went to law school. My sole purpose was to understand how the law could actually help artists and be a um, a guide to their career in a way to empower them versus a way that can stop them from actually pursuing their creativity and what they wanted to do. And as you know, there's so many times that we see very, very um very, very bad contracts that artists get into at the beginnings of their careers that could potentially end their career before it even gets started. And so it was really important to me to understand the nuances of how the law works so that I can use it in a way to help artists empower themselves along their journey. And so that all started from me not being empowered on my own journey in um, on the creative side. Oh my gosh, that sounds like uh, what happened with Martha Watt in the CNC music factory, just, you know, them using oh, your yeah. voice. It's, it's just like that. I mean, <laughs> it is. I, remember, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I remember hearing that story and being like, oh man, I can't imagine that happens all the time in the music industry. That's exactly what happened to you. That's crazy. Constantly. And there's actually, um, there's another lawyer who I spoke to a few, um, like maybe about a year ago and he had the same thing happen to him. <laughs> Yes, he had the same thing happen to him. He was he was doing a background for one of the groups in the 80s. And that was the exact same thing. And so that's why he became a lawyer as well. So it turns out that it's not it, I mean, it's not that it's an extremely common thing, but it's not so rare than I, I, that I thought, you know, it's starting to sound more common. I'm starting to think I'm the only entertainment lawyer who hasn't had their voice stolen. <laughs> you know what? You might be actually because there are so many of us that started off on that creative side and then had to end up um, coming over to the legal side being, you know, and, and help other people not get exploited like we were. So, oh. yeah. Oh, gosh. So I on the artist side and on and, and in your legal career, I mean, you have probably witnessed firsthand 
a ton of legal pitfalls that you've seen artists encounter, both with you personally and with your clients. Uh, what are some of the common legal pitfalls that artists can encounter in the music industry, perhaps if they're not represented by good lawyers, and how can they avoid them? Um, I think that one of the the main um, the main issues that I see artists go through with as it relates to contracts is when you're at the beginning of your career and you 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 often will sign an agreement that basically says that you that they have rights to everything that you that you know your masters not only your masters but everything that you produce um, underneath underneath that contract and what they do is they give you um, they give you an advance. And what normally happened in the music industry back in the day was you sold records and you paid off that advance and whatever was left after you paid off your advance, you actually took home in salary. Um, but that's not how it works now because guess what? We can no longer exploit music the way that we did in the past because people don't buy music the same way that they did. So what happens now is um is is a slightly different model where they're using something called a 360 and most people know what a 360 is at this point in the music industry but quite often the record labels um reasoning is where we're putting money into building your career from nothing. And so we deserve a piece of whatever it is that you bring in, even if it doesn't relate to the music creation. And so that um, that's a, you know, a hard contract for an artist to get into at the beginning of their career, because quite often there's options to continue to keep renewing and extending that career for a multiple amount of albums. And so that means that you can be locked into a, a contract that was meant for someone starting off when you're very well advanced in your career and have, you know, multiple successes under your belt. So I think that um, quite often that type of contract is not going to be beneficial to you. And so many times I recommend that artists go out and they try to build up their own um, leverage themselves at the beginning of their career so that when they actually get to the bargaining table and there is a record label that's interested in what they want, uh, you know, interested in them and want to sign them, that they have the leverage to get themselves into a better deal. Oh, it's always good to try to get at that negotiating table with mm -hmm. some position of equality. You're absolutely exactly, right. Exactly. At least, at least to try to say, well, you know, it's not like I couldn't continue to do this on my own. I have certain resources that are available. And what's great about social media now is that you actually can create your own following. You can create your own, um, your own way. You can be your own entrepreneur. And most of the companies, they want access to the people who are following you. They want access to, um, you know, your audience. And so that's a way for you to use leverage to say, okay, well, if you want to be on board with what it is that I'm doing, <laughs> then, <laughs> then you're going to come with a better deal than what you would with somebody who has no following, no, um, you know, no brand and has no understanding of how to market themselves in, in a certain type of way. I think that record labels at this point that in this day and age are more like the the secondary or the next level of you building yourself as an artist that 
you know, just like if you were to get an endorsement deal or something like that, it's like you're content, your, 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 uh, your career would continue to go and it would continue to keep prospering, but you're just adding on an additional layer, an additional layer to keep on growing your brand and your business. So I think that um, most artists starting off don't really understand this. They understand that it's important to have a following and to have this and to have that. But I think that they don't understand that that's actually leverage and bargaining power for you to be able to negotiate yourself into a better deal. Um, very well said. Uh, and one of the things that you brought up on your platform, Artist Empowerment, uh, which you can find, go to uh, artistempowerment.co, is uh, you've challenged the idea that artists have to be traditional artists, that they have to fit into a box, that they have to be like the ones that have come before them. Uh, can you elaborate a bit on that? Uh, what are some non-traditional career strategies that artists could possibly embrace? Well, what I believe personally is that in order to be successful as an artist in this day and age, and when I say successful, meaning you're putting out the music that you want to put out, you're creating the way that you want to create, and you're making a sustainable living from it. To me, that can only come really through being an entrepreneur, because if you don't come into it as an entrepreneur, then you can get yourself into these kind of um, really, um, really bad contracts. You can end up being a starving artist and not making money from your art. So it's really important to not only know the nuances of the creation of the art, but you also need to know the the other side of it, which is the, the actual business side. And I think that artists need to become a lot savvier as it relates to the business aspect of their career and not just dismiss it and say, oh, someone else will take care of it, take care of it for me. You are in control of your ship. You are in control of what it is that you're producing, what you're putting out in the world and the money that you're making from it. And so when I work with artists, um, or when artists come through artist empowerment, we really work on what specifically are some career strategies that are related to what it is that you want to do with your art. Do you want to, cause everyone has a different idea of what they want to do. Some people want to be Lady Gaga, but then there's other people that are not interested in that at all. And they're more just interested in being able to pay their, pay their bills, pay their mortgage and do those kind of things. And so we're looking at, Okay, if we're just looking at the creation of music as the sole source, you're not going to make very much money, especially starting off. So what are the other things that you can do to supplement the income while you build your brand, while you build your business? And then you can step greater into that area step by step. So there are some certain things that um that artists do some of them have second jobs some of them use their art as a way to create a business so for example with my um with one of my clients she started her own um music school which she she plays classical piano she's um she's voice trained and her desire is to actually um you know create a, a career that has enough leverage that she can um bargain her way into a a really good record deal. So, but she also needs to eat, right? <laughs> so, 
So, you know, that's going to take some time. So what I did was I worked with her specifically on building up this music school because that was the thing that she wanted, um, that she felt like it was a good use of her time and her energy as an artist. And it also kept her in the practice of creating and working with music all the time. So it wasn't like she went to be a waitress and is doing something completely off of the realm of the possibility of music. So we put together, um, you know, a sales strategy for her, a marketing strategy for her to build the business. We tried different things for her, um, different ways for her to advertise. We, um, we did a lot of testing and research. We found a way that worked and she started to get many, many one-on-one clients to work with them on her, um, to work with them in a way that she can actually have a sustainable business. And now her business, she, she told me the other day that she's made more money in this year of working with me than she has in her entire career. And she is now in close to the six figure mark and working in her business. And she has other offers too. It's not just her one-on-one working with clients for lessons. She also has products and she also has different services as well. So we basically just took what she was really, really great at and packaged it in a way that she could monetize it and utilize it. And, and that was one of the things that we did. She also ran a Kickstarter and she was very successful in running that Kickstarter. It was $20,000. So instead of it just being something that I coached her on knowing how to successfully fulfill one, we took it and we packaged it and marketed it to musicians and said, okay, she has successfully done this. Now she's going to teach other people how to do it. So these are different things that you can do is looking at specifically what are you interested in? What is is connected to the creation of your art? And what are some of the specific ways that you can monetize that that aren't the traditional ways? And you may need to work with a guidance on that. You may need to work with a coach. You may need to work with somebody who can strategize with you on the different ways based off of your own individual experience. Man, that is so smart. And and, and Jonay, if I may, that is just fantastic advising, coaching, and lawyering. You know, you thank you. Because I mean, that that's the kind of advising that only comes when you see your client as you know as a, as a person and not just you know this is some you know an entity trying to make money in the music industry. You saw your client <laughs> as a complete person, a complete picture, and you came up with a variety of revenue streams that all catered to your client's strengths. That's I mean, not only is that great advice for all the people listening out there, but you really did right by that client. And this is one of the things I really like about you, Jonay, is that you you really take a holistic approach to helping your clients. You don't just help them with your legal projects. You don't even just help them with their business operations, but you really seem to talk a lot, especially on your platform, about helping your artist clients as people, making sure that they are well-adjusted and happy individuals. And um, it's so true. And that's and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Ryan, there was one um, there's one quote that always gets to my my heart that I keep every time I feel that feeling of like, you know, um, that feeling that we all have of being tired or maybe wanting to like, you know, change, you know, what it is, whatever it is that you're doing. And one client, he said to me, he was like that. I not only changed him as an artist, but I changed him as a man. And I will never 
ever forget that. That was the biggest compliment that I've ever received in my life because I wasn't, that wasn't the plan. The plan, <laughs> what, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't the thing that I was looking to do. Like, oh, how can I influence his life and change him as a man? Like, no, I was really looking at how can we create um, a way for him to live his life in the best way possible that feels good to him, that's utilizing his talents and his strengths and puts him out there in the world in a way that he feels that he's aligned with his purpose. That's what I was concerned with. And it turned out to be a whole other set of, of wonderful things that happened for him in his life, including the fact that he said he had more confidence and he felt better about his music. <laughs> <laughs> you mean that wasn't your direct goal? You didn't also you, you didn't take a class in law school about uh, changing men. I thought that, I thought that was just a sta standard part of the one L curriculum. I was about to say you didn't know that was a part. That, yeah, at my school it was the two L curriculum. So. Oh, it was an elective. I got it. Uh, you you probably you probably took something you know like property or you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like changing men? No, no, it's okay. Yeah, no, no, I get that. <laughs> but it was, it was really, it was really, it was really a huge compliment to me and and this work. And it's something that I always hold on to, knowing that this isn't just about. Um, you know, making money or, you know, becoming what the world deems to be successful is really about taking control of your life and, and honoring it and empowering yourself from, from, from every aspect. Yeah. And you know, that can be hard to do in an industry like the music business where yeah. it is a stressful, <laughs> stressful industry, especially for artists, entrepreneurs. Cause I can't think of two fields that are more stressful than art and being a business person or being an entrepreneur. And so the potential Ooh, for burnout is, together. yeah, right. And, and so you know, the potential for burnout in this industry is high. And I know that that's something that you've personally dealt with um, and also advise your clients on how to manage. So do you have any advice for the artists listening out there on how they can manage burnout in their own careers? Yes. Um, I think that with my own story, what happened to me is I, I had, I was pretty much running on fumes all the time because I'm passionate about what I do. And so I was always, always, always on constantly working. My, my work days were, you know, 12, 18 hour days for most people. Ooh. That's, uh, that's, you know, that's insane in my life. That was normal. And I had one day off, which was Saturday. And that was the day that I still went to go and explore art. So it wasn't even like a day off, really. It was still kind of like working. <laughs> you weren't really but, unplugged, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't unplugged, really. And <laughs> and what I realized was um, that I can't, that's not sustainable. And it was the opposite of what I was teaching my clients to do, which is so funny. Like I wasn't drinking my own Kool-Aid. I'm telling them, I'm telling them to set up, to set up their business and set up their life in a way that it feels joyful and pleasurable and that they have time off and all of these things. And I was doing the exact opposite and didn't even realize well, it. Well, the contractor like, always has the worst house on the block. You know? It's true. It's true. Cause you're so focused on everybody else's stuff, right? So I, that's what happened to me. And, um, and what I realized is, is that it started to, it started to take a toll on my passion for what I did. And, um, and my, you know, my, health, my, my mental health, my emotional health, my spiritual health, like my health in general was really shot. And so, 
So one of the things that I learned from this, um, because I, you know, I wouldn't say I suffered, but I experienced a year of burnout. Like I pretty much unplugged everything and took off the entire year of 2016. And that was not easy because I am an entrepreneur. I have to eat and make money like everyone else. And at the same time, it was necessary because I had to find myself again. I had to ground myself. And so in order for you not to end up in a space where you have to take a year off, mm. <laughs> um, I think that the most important thing that you need to do is to um, schedule and schedule and structure your life in a way that feels good to you, that you have space and time because you're going to need downtime at every turn. It's not just on the weekends, but setting your morning routine up so that you are really taking care of yourself before you take care of yourself, before you take care of creating, before you take care of anything else, you have to put yourself first and you have to have a really, really, uh, committed morning routine and an evening routine of breaking down. And so for me now, um, I get up really early, but I get up early because I am a, a morning person, but also because I want to have a few hours to myself to pray, to meditate, to do my yoga, to journal, to do the things that are going to ground me and get me set up for my day. And at the end of the day, what I know about myself is that I need to unplug from all electronics, media and all of that stuff, or I won't be able to sleep. Mm. Like, like if I don't do it a couple hours before my brain is just going to keep going. And as an entrepreneur, you're constantly thinking of ideas and then you're getting more stimulus coming in from Instagram or, or, you know, or emails or whatever. And it's like you have to unplug and have that space and that time. And now for the first time in since I started my business, because I started off working seven days a week, then in 2013, I went down to six days a week and I wasn't, I didn't, I'd never had two days off. So now I take the full weekend off and that just started in 2016. (laughs) So I know, I know, I know crazy. And then the other thing that I did was I actually, and this, and this isn't for everyone, but I actually started going to a 12 step program for workaholics because I also knew that part of my addictive personality was I was addicted to working. And so I decided to, to, to actually start working steps and actually learning more about what had me connected so, so deeply besides passion to work. And so those were some of the things that I did in my own recovery. And I think that the things that I would look at that are most important are morning routines, having time off, having evening routines and setting up your life and your business so that you are actually flowing and working in the time when you have the most life force. So for example, um, for some people, they work really well getting up in in the morning. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs who talk about this, like get up super early, get up before everybody else, get up at 4am. And that doesn't work for everyone. Everyone's not at their peak hours at that time. So what you need to do is kind of play around with your schedule and figure out when's your peak time. My peak time 
after three o'clock, my brain starts to get a little fuzzy. So my peak work, I, I don't know what's happening. So my, so my peak work time <laughs> is before three o'clock. So I get the majority of stuff done at that time. And if I was at, you know, if I was trying to do stuff at five, six o'clock, it would take me like twice as long. So I learned that about myself. And so I set up my life and my business and my day with the flow of the energy of, of you know, my energy. So, oh, yeah, it's, that's great. And uh, thank you so much for being so honest about uh, your experience. I know the listeners are going to benefit a lot from it. And, you know, I know it's not easy to, to talk about that stuff. So thank you very much. Oh, it's my pleasure because I I know that I'm not the only person and I know and what I know about this is a lot of people think that there's something wrong with them because they have an addiction or maybe because they are experiencing burnout or maybe because they're not getting up at 4 a.m. and pounding, pounding it out until, you know, midnight. A lot of people think there's something wrong with them because of that, because of all the hype that they see. But in actuality, it's not real. Like nobody can operate at those levels and it be completely sustainable, you will end up in burnout. So the better thing to do is to take an an internal inventory, do some testing as to how your schedule works and what are the best times for you, and really, really take your self-care seriously. Because self-care really is a matter of life and death. So take it seriously and figure out what is it that you need in order for you to feel at, at your best and, and just keep implementing that. And if it feels good, keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) That's my mantra. If, uh, for, (laughs) so, and I imagine there are a lot of listeners out there who I've been inspired by the things you're saying and want to keep the conversation going with you and might even be interested in some of the fantastic services you offer. How can people find you on social media and how can people find out about the services you offer? Absolutely. Um, you can go to my website at jonewilliams.com or um, you can find me on all social media outlets as J Williams ESQ. Um, it's really hard to, the uh, social media world does not like dashes in a name and my mom was quite creative. So I had to go with J, <laughs> I, had to go to, I had to go with J Williams ESQ because like, you know, I couldn't do anything else. So I'm on all social media platforms as that and um and or you can just go to jonawilliams.com and and check me out over there and i'm more than happy to talk to you and um you know we can you will see what we can do if there's anything that i can help you with i'm more than happy to awesome and uh before we let you go and this has been a pleasure jonay uh do you have any last tips to share with your indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward um i do so i love Jay-Z, and I love his business mind, right? And so one of the things that he, one of my favorite quotes from him is, I guess somebody asked him something about him being a genius. And he said the genius thing that we did was that we didn't give up. And so I just give that to your listeners and say, you know, that's the best thing that you can do. You're not a, you're not a quitter unless you actually quit. So just keep going for your dream. Don't give up on it. It's closer than what you think it may be. And take care of yourself. Take immense care of yourself. This is the only body that you have. And it's the only life that you have that you, that we know of. So just take really good care of yourself and don't give up on your dream. All right. Oh, that was just 
marvelous. Yeah, I, I also am a firm believer in the fact that, you know, genius is just a shorter way to say persistent <laughs> and, uh, yes, you know, assiduous. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and th- thank you for spreading that message and all the messages that you've been spreading. Um, thank you so much, uh, for joining us. Uh, we'd love to have you on again real soon. Please don't be a stranger. Absolutely. And it was my pleasure. And I hope that this is helpful to all all of you listeners out there. And thank you so much for inviting me. I love talking about this kind of stuff because it's important to empower all of the artists out here who are actually wanting to live their dreams on their terms. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Joan A. Williams for joining us in the previous segment. So honest, so candid, just great. You can find out more about her by visiting jo-nawilliams.com and by visiting artistempowerment.co. We need more people that are just that honest and you know are willing to just bear themselves out like that. Just, oh my gosh. Great stuff, yeah. Like we're, we're normally so just superficial and we hide our true selves around here. So, you know, it's in stark contrast. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if only people knew who we were. That's true. And our personalities, yeah. They don't know. No. Mystery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. We've got some uh, D-block stuff here. For, actually, this is very interesting. I feel like this is the most news, legal news heavy D-block I've programmed. I noticed that when I looked at the board. I feel like... Almost to the point that you are annoyed. Kind of. Oh, like, it, it, I talked a lot about the law in the first segment. I want to. I want. I want to hear you do funny voices. What well, that's is the this thing. Crap? It's like I'm just. I, I'm just like a freaking like it, your little dancing uh, marionette for you. Like a little. Uh, I, I put on a hat and everything, and, and like the, the monkey with the vest, and you've got your uh, little uh, music box you're twirling, and you know you got the hat down in the street, and you just want me to dance for you so you make yeah. money. I do a lot of research for the show, and my reward is that you get to entertain me for twenty minutes. And you're taking that away from me because now you want to do hard news? But th- this is, it's, it's valid. I feel like people forget you're a lawyer sometimes. Uh, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't define me like you, man. You've got lawyer tattooed on your forehead. That's weird. I actually have a tattooed backwards so that when I look in the mirror, I can see it. Uh, the, the, the judges, though, they're like, what the hell is this guy doing? Yeah, that's true. It does confuse the judges because yeah. they, they only see it backwards. So like, what's 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 will will Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. Okay. No, no, no. You know what? This is your block. This is the D block. If you want to talk about law in it, well, there. Yeah. You know, just why did you touch me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. Law. I we're not allowed to talk about law unless that's in there. No, that was good. Yeah. See, now like, we get to listen to it twice. I don't think Armand Asante needs your help in you know, expressing that we're talking about law. Doesn't he? I, I feel in like general. he does a bang up. <laughs> I mean, we're kind of getting Armand DeSante out there. It's true. Like this is the most pub I feel like he's gotten in 15 years. You know, where's his manager? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. We'd love for anyway, him to be on the show. Do no, you think I, we could get him on the show and see if we can get him to do law? I bet he wouldn't do it. Because he probably gets that, like, whenever he's, like, walking through the airport, somebody just goes, Lah! 
it do you drives think so? me crazy. Like I think it's his I think it's his cross to bear. Maybe or do they go like, hey Odysseus, you home yet? <laughs> we had to watch you in ninth grade. Yeah. Uh, looks like Sil and Charybdis really giving you the business. <laughs> yeah, I could see that being brought up a lot in airports by common people. References to the NBC made for TV yeah. movie was in. Anyway, hard legal news. Okay, let's do this. Buckle well, this up. Is, well, this is an update and one from one of our guests. Remember, we had Robert Meyer Burnett on. I do. That was fun. I We had a very him. long interview. Had a great time. He's the uh, director and editor of uh, the Star Trek or the Axonar Project, you know, the fan film. For Star that, Trek, uh, we yeah. talked about. Yes, they got in the legal issues because they actually had a Kickstarter and raised, what was it, like a million dollars. And this was, was going to be for no money. It was not going to be a for-profit venture. Just Star Trek fans, and especially Mr. Burnett, who has a, a long history and career with Star Trek. Yeah, he's done a lot of projects with, for uh, Star Trek. With CBS uh, and, and Paramount. I can't remember which one holds it now. But anyway, there's been an update because, you know, they, you know Paramount, CBS uh, sued uh, this production, Alec Peters' production. He was the, the producer who was putting all this together. Yeah, last we spoke, there was a pending lawsuit. Yes. Well, there has been some news, and uh, rather unfortunate news for, what I think, who we're rooting for, Mr. Burnett and the Action R production. Because um, he came on our show, and that's pretty much the only thing you need to do for us to root for you. That's true. <laughs> but plus, you know, they're actually making the content, you know? Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I'm, I'm always coming out against people who are too aggressive with copyrights. So. Yeah, well, a judge uh, ruled that the fair use defense cannot be used. Oh. By uh, the Axonar folks and Mr. Peters. Ooh. Which, um, now, the case is still going. He stopped short of just dismissing. It's already survived motion to dismiss, and he stopped short of basically already just sort of ending the case on the merits for Paramount. But fair use is gone. Um, and basically, you know, uh, he said, this is a U.S. District Court Judge R. Gary Klausner in uh, California. With respect to the first core issue, the court finds that the Axonar works have objective, substantial similarity to the Star Trek copyright works. Because, mm-hmm. you know, this this whole thing is they're taking a, a character in one episode of the original series and giving that character an entire backstory. Well, right, and they're filling the show, this new movie, with a bunch of Star Trek elements and things that this court probably thought were, were protectable expression. Yes, uh, basically said that the uh, defendants expressly set out to create an authentic and independent Star Trek film that stayed true to Star Trek canon down to excruciating details. Yeah. And um, he went in basically saying, the purpose to the purpose and character of the use, the judge writes that Axnar attempts to stay faithful to canon with You're not going to go through all four fair use factors. I'm not. No, I'm okay, not. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just giving the big thing. Oh, what? Do you not want a list? I mean, I, not that. Believe me, I would love to hear you express the four fair use factors. I find fair use fascinating, but I think the well, audience is going to be very frustrated. Well, no, it's just this one line here. Okay. That, that the production wants to stay faithful to Star Trek and with nary any criticism, seemingly shrugging off defendants' arguments of staging a mockumentary. So I know you were saying fair use is such where if you're making a commentary, if you're sort parody. of parody, anything like that, the judge basically saying, what are you guys talking about? You love this freaking thing. You're getting, you're going to the, the smallest bit of minutia possible to get this right. This is a labor of love here, essentially. There's no way you're making any sort of commentary other than the fact that you love this thing. I mean, I love Robert Meyer Burnett, and he was on the show, and he's great, and I, I do not like people who aggressively 
go nuts with copyright. And, you know, that fam film guidelines thing they put out was super annoying. And Star Trek is just being awful with this. Plus, you know, J.J. Abrams came out and said that they were going to settle this lawsuit. What happened to that? But, yeah, that's right. And the, it, no one listened to him. Right. And so, but look, I mean, the judge got it right. It's not fair use. And and, and on the law, I mean, I'm not reading up on this case as closely as the people litigating it, but from where I see it, it looks like they got Axnar pretty dead to rights. This well, is a pretty yeah. obvious case of copyright the, infringement. The judge stops, uh, stops short and basically said that the second part of copyright analysis, the... Uh, uh, sub- subjective similarity. Yes. That would a reasonable person find the total concept and feel the work to be substantially similar? That's a question for a jury. Right. And but given how this is just gone right now, it seems fairly obvious that a sort of a, a jury of 12 folks... The person would say, right. yeah, this is substantially similar. But it stinks. And I mean, look, Star Trek, this is my plea. I love you. you. You've shaped my childhood. You've filled it with wonder. Like, stop being a jerk to your fans. Look, I mean, yes, you're right on the law. I'm a lawyer. I'm telling you, you're right on the law. But just stop being a jerk to your fans. Like, these people aren't hurting you. They're not taking money out of your pocket. If anything, they're just increasing fan love and awareness of your show. And you're just being a jerk and just leave them alone for God's sake. Like they're doing a labor of love. They're, they're expressing their fandom of Star Trek. This is not hurting you. Just knock it off. Like what is, what are you gaining from this other than pissing off your fans? You remind me of the leave Britney alone guy. I, I can't leave, leave X and R alone. I wish we had that sound clip. Damn it. I, if I, I didn't know you were going to be so passionate. Well, God, it's just because well, I, I hate copyright bullies. You know, mm-hmm. the, like this, I mean, and, and here's the other thing. Like Star Trek, you've been around for 50 years now. Like your copyright, copyrights in America are too long. You know, 50 years. You know, so now, now I'm just coming after the, uh, the U.S. Congress now. 50 years, five decades is more than enough time to make a ton of money off of your Star Trek creation. This should belong to everybody now. Copyrights are too damn long in this country. I'm, Do you feel better? I kind of feel like I pulled something in my chest. Your left arm hurting? <laughs> Tingling a little bit? Like the previous coach of the Miami Ducks? I... <laughs> this wasn't even a good joke that you screwed up. You want to try it again? Like the previous coach of the Mighty Ducks. There you go. See, like that <laughs> that joke that you botched. Like the, it's it only, only works because we were discussing the Mighty Ducks last night. Right. It's first of all, it's kind of an inside joke between you and me because we were talking about the Mighty Ducks at the hockey game yesterday, and it's only going to be funny to people who can remember the first Mighty Ducks movie and the fact that the coach, the first coach before Emilio Estevez showed up, had a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> before Gordon Bombay drove his limo on the ice. What a freaking schmuck. <laughs> but like the only person who seems to have any good sense in the Star Trek universe right now is JJ Abrams who was prescient enough to go we need to stop bullying our fans let them make their movie mm-hmm. no nobody is going to watch Star Trek Axanar on YouTube and say oh that's that was made by Paramount I mean get out of here and clearly they just put it on YouTube because they decided eh, I don't want to charge anyone for of this of course yeah because it's a labor of love so that looks like um that's heading for a soon-to-be defeat uh, whenever that actually officially goes to trial and ends. So I mean, look, the only way that the Axonar folks are going to get out of this without just losing a fortune is Star Trek fans, for any of them that are listening right now, like, do letter-writing campaigns, do something to put public pressure on Star Trek. 
to uh, stop this. Oh, I thought we were going to say jury nullification. <laughs> How funny would that be? <laughs> it's a jury. Like, they, they, they get the jury, and just as luck would have it, like, the voir dire process is such where it's just... 12 guys who came out of like a Star Trek con, like still wearing their Star Trek clothes. Oh, no, 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 no. You know the lawyers for Paramount CBS. One of their questions during Wadir, if you haven't already been so, have you ever been to a Comic Con or convention? Yes. Strike. Strike. Yeah, but there's only <laughs> so many preemptory challenges you get. Well, they'll probably challenge you for a cause if you're like a big Star Trek fan. No, too. you know what's going to be? It's going to be a, a jury of like 12, 85 year old women. Like blue hair. Yes. Some of them from like maybe that because it's California. So like some Mexican abuelitas that like don't even speak, yeah. any, uh, barely speak English or something. Yeah. yeah that's that's going to be their way of getting uh, the, around this. The Paramount lawyer. Um, Are you familiar, ma'am, with Star Trek? That's the one with the uh, the light swords. We'll take this one. We'll keep her, your honor. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the only way that that they're going to get out of this. Like, there needs to be public pressure because this is bullying. Yeah, we got to get uh, Gene Hackman to get to these jury members and have them uh, vote the way we want. Yep. That was a runaway jury uh, reference. Yeah, no, it was... Remember that one? He's okay. costing me my jury! Yeah. I can't remember if that was the exact line. Oh, I don't know. Stop quoting obscure movies and dragging me down with you. All right, anyway, so that was... Wow, good legal update. That was, uh... Thank you. And actually, here's a... Ryan, I yeah. know you like going on IMDb and looking at the age of uh hollywood actresses to see what chance do you have you know it's my favorite thing to do you like sure. you like weighing options it's like okay this one's like 25 i can swing that or whatever you're like okay 35 Ooh, this is really great i mean i could do this and you're like yeah 54 well, i don't know but she makes a lot of money i know you do that a lot i do i do and you know i'll even look at the age and be like hey honey i think i can nail this one <laughs> i'm just saying your premise was inherently ridiculous because i'm already married but <laughs> So I was just taking the ridiculousness of your premise one step further. But fine. Yes. Anyway. I love looking at the ages of people on IMDb just because we're doing yes and here. All right. <laughs> well, buddy, obviously that that's kind of, age is a sensitive topic in Hollywood. I think we'd all agree. Oh, yeah. So much so that um, sag after and a lot of Hollywood people were able to lobby the California legislature to pass a law that went into effect this year, January 1st. Uh, actually, it's... It doesn't specifically target IMDb, but it basically is against IMDb, saying that uh, sort of these database sites are not a, if an uh, actor or some sort of uh, entertainer requi- requests, they have to take down their date of birth and their age. Oh, so if I'm on IMDb and my age is on there, I can tell IMDb to take my age take my, off. Take your age off. So that I'm not discriminated against in Hollywood. Yes, so then that way, because they said, uh, well, you know, directors, producers, all the people that are making uh, stuff in the entertainment industry are looking, going IMDb and seeing exactly how old they are. And, oh, well, well, we can't have that person. They're too old. Mm. So IMDb basically is now suing, saying, what the hell? This sort of violates free speech. And also, you've just targeted us. Because also, the law doesn't even make any attempt to say, you can't, you know, take down information available on any other website. Wikipedia, for instance. That'll have someone's birthday. Yeah. The law doesn't even touch them. Sure. So it's a very interesting thing that this... Like IMDb is being singled out yeah, they, they, for yeah the nobody because like the way they defined it this really doesn't apply to anybody other than them yeah and again it's kind of funny just like yeah yeah take down my age please like, what are you talking about well I mean it is kind of a problem in Hollywood and, and granted I I I I know this by saying like my knowledge of the First Amendment is limited to what I learned in seventh grade about like the five freedoms in the First Amendment like I'm not a First Amendment lawyer so I don't know to what extent it applies here. 
But I do know that age discrimination is a big problem in Hollywood. And yeah. I mean, it's a big, well, it's a problem all across the workforce. That's why you've got the ADEA. But, um, I mean, you know, you know what's funny? I just thought about, mm. I don't think when you work for a studio, you have to fill out a W-2. Yeah, why not? So, I mean, technically you have to give probably information like with your date of birth on it anyway. Well, sure, but I think I'm it's, sure the studios probably have that on record. Oh yeah. Like it's, it doesn't, it's like, we know when you were bored, Kate Winslet. <laughs> I'm not convinced that the law actually does very much in solving this problem. And it seems like it's going to go first. It's going to be stricken down almost probably immediately. The way this is so not narrowly tailored, it's just going after essentially one group without saying it. IMDb yeah. and IMDb Pro. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's. <laughs> Speaking of which, the Golden Globes are tonight. Oh, my God. Yeah. The award season uh begins or is it it's already kind of begun but now it's even more it gets full swing I think yeah no this is that you know because you got like you know directors guild awards and yeah i've, I've seen sag awards have you seen uh, any any like uh the awards movies i know for best picture uh drama you've got hacksaw ridge didn't see it hell or high water didn't see it I heard it was really good lion didn't see it. manchester by the sea did see excruciatingly sad but good right very good but okay. sad moonlight didn't see which we should it's like a miami guy Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy, 20th Century Women, didn't see Deadpool. Duh. That's kind of funny. That's awesome. They got a... Go- Deadpool got a Golden Globe nomination yeah. for Best Picture. That's... Right. And then also sort of Florence Foster Jenkins, you know, the Meryl Streep movie. La La Land, loved it. And Sing Street. Okay, so, I mean, La La Land's probably going to win that category, so... I think La La Land's going to win mean, that. I mean, we're not going to get a Deadpool Golden Globe Best Picture win, and which it's funny be because great. Ryan Reynolds is nominated for Best Actor... For Deadpool? For Deadpool. Cool! Yeah, and I mean, Ryan Gosling is also then okay, for La La Land. Okay, so he's La not Lands. winning that either. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Best Motion Picture Animated, Kubo and the Two Strings. I saw that. That was pretty cool. Oh, wait. Let's take a step back here. What is going to happen to poor Ryan Reynolds is they're going to be announcing the Best Actor winner, and the winner is Ryan <gasps> Gosling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, he, I'm sure, like, somebody's already explained to him, like, because, you know, they have the camera on you while they're announcing the winner, like... Don't let that. Don't create the YouTube moment for yourself where you get initially excited and then you and then everybody sees your hope get stashed because that actually happened famously to Taylor Swift at the Grammys a few years back because she was up for album of the year for her album Red mm-hmm. and she was up against Daft Punk who wound up winning for their album Random Access Memories and there is a discernible oh just YouTube hear- video right. Where she heard "ruh" in random access memories and got, and then oh, she got crushed. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah, yeah. So they're probably like saying to Ryan Reynolds, "Look, dude, you're not gonna win because Ryan Gosling is is dreamy and he's in the big movie right now. So don't let YouTube get the video yeah. of you getting initially excited when you hear Ryan." Yeah. Thank God Ryan O'Neill's not nominated for anything either. That's true. Because of the third Ryan, because yeah, Ryan, and he's an actor. So yeah, okay. gotcha. Screw you. <laughs> Watch Ryan Reynolds win this now. Yeah, and then he's not going to come on the show. Jesus. Yeah, we're lose him too. Yeah, um, him and Mariah Carey right now are going. I'm never going on that stupid podcast. Yeah, yeah me either. You know, Anthony Hopkins got snubbed for his Westworld. That's for what best I, that's actor. what I keep hearing people say. Yeah, because I mean, Evan Rachel Evan Rachel Wood got uh, best actress nomination for her stuff, but uh, not to- Anthony Hopkins, which is bullcrap. Are you about to call him Tony Hopkins? Like you know him? <laughs> like you have dinner with at Spago with him once a week? Yeah, me and Tone, you know? And Tony Hopkins. And Sandy Bullock. <laughs> you're, you're, no you're, question. You're going to talk about animated films next, because I've actually seen a bunch oh, of these. So. Yeah, well, actually, I was going to say, because, hold on a second, Bob Odenkirk is nominated for Better Call Saul. 
you know, why isn't freaking Anthony Hop Tony? Why isn't <laughs> Tony Hopkins? Why isn't Tone the Bone? <laughs> oh, is that that's what they that's what that's what yeah. they call him. Tone the Bone. Uh yes, yeah, so, uh, here, motion picture animated. Kubo and the Two Strings. That was pretty cool. I hope that wins. That was all stop motion. That was Moana. Good that was good too. My life Paul as a zucchini. Hamilton. What? My life as a zucchini. Come on. Um yes, that's here. That happens every year where I mean, every year they've done like the best animated film. Oh, wait, award. is that like one of those vegetable Christian movies or something? No, I can't imagine. But what it is is whenever they do these best animated film awards, it's always, no matter what year it is, it's always the same thing. And the nominees are Disney Pixar movie, other Disney Pixar movie, DreamWorks, DreamWorks animated movie. movie. Um, and then it's, you know, you throw in, oh, and you know, stop motion movie, and then weird French movie. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's weird. I, mean, I don't think it's a French movie, but that's the weird French movie. Oh, you this mean year. like what was that thing? The Orphans of. Uh, you remember, there, there was like one, I can't remember. It was like a weirdly. It was a French movie. But like that, a weirdly that, drawn it happens French every movie. year where like you always recognize all of the nominees in Best Animated Film because you saw them with your kid, except for the one weird French one. Yeah. And then also you have Sing and Zootopia. Those are all good. The Sing one looks just like it's just like one of those dumb karaoke movies. It's like, oh, okay, let's have an excuse for everyone to sing. I might have seen Sing. You seen Sing? Yep. What did you think of after you saw Sing? Uh, it was a dumb karaoke movie. Okay. I mean, the plot was super threadbare. Of course. And but I mean, the songs were good. Like all the people they had singing. You know, it was Tori also, Kelly, Scarlett Johansson, Seth MacFarlane. I keep also, forgetting wait, he's a good singer. You've got Singing Zootopia, two animals, animals like living human society movies. I'd rather see an animal movie. Like. <laughs> I don't even know. Like an animal, I guess that'd be like a, a animal that eats animals. I, an animal? Ha! Yeah. What's well, that's animals anyway? That's true. I guess they're like, called no. carnivores. Well, no, an, an animal would be an anim, animal who eats like his own kind. Ryan, just give me, <laughs> just give okay. me my music. Okay. Now it's time for Dave's Metal Minute on the Break the Business Podcast. That's right, folks, it's Metal Dave, back here with you to unleash some metal news upon your mortal soul. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing great, Metal Dave. This is unexpected. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, buddy. You know what's, you know, in the Chinese calendar, they have the year of, uh, the year of the dragon, right? The year of the rat, the rabbit, the ox, all sorts of other animals. You know that, right? I do, yes. Right. Do you know in the metal calendar, we also have those sorts of things. Oh, is that right? Yes. Do you want to know what this is the year of? I would, actually. The year of the demon, Ryan. In this, the 666th year on Earth. Granted, so it was also last year's and the previous year. I was about to say, it's probably the year of the demon every year, too. Yeah. It gets a little rough for record keeping because we sort of, there's no way of knowing when things happened. Yeah. You lose chronology, which is kind of the whole point of having years. Yeah, because right? we also, every single month is June. Um because it's the sixth one. And, oh, right, of course. Sorry, that took me a second. Thank yeah, you for... and we usually do a lot of stuff on the sixth, and it, it's it's really hard on our accountants. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> our metal accountants uh, have a tough time, and uh, also we slay them if they if they make us get audited, so we, we, we run through them a lot. A lot of slangs, yeah. Do you do accounting? Oh. Sorry. Do you do accounting, Ryan, by the way? No, I don't, especially oh. because... You know, what you just said, what happens to accountants, I really don't, even if I was an accountant, I wouldn't say that I was. No. Well, buddy, um, I actually don't have a lot of stuff here. I just had to come on because 
Rather, some sad news happened uh, for Metal Dave and the entire metal community that um, I, I didn't realize just happened that sort of affects this show. Okay, I don't know what to do here because, like, whenever you, I mean, when we, whenever you hit a stopping place, we play the Silence uh, Riot. There, see that we can play. But when you just said there was sad news, I can't play the metal music when there's sad news. Like, we need like a softer version of it. Like, do 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 do. Your issues with the board do not concern me, Ryan. See, now that works. I know, because I'm me. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the, the, one of the main sites that Metal Dave gets a lot of his metal news from is uh, Metal Hammer, the magazine based out of the United Kingdom. Of course. And, I would uh, say it's probably your exclusive source for information. <laughs> it's one, one of the few it's, uh, they're good, good people have been around for over 30 years. Um, sadly, looks like no more. Oh, no. They are going into administration, right? And they did that on December 19th, which is British terminology for bankruptcy. Yeah, see, it doesn't yeah. work if you're saying something sad. Yeah, I blame you. <laughs> but it works when you're yelling at me for some reason. That's weird. Yeah, so... Metal Dave is not quite sure where he's going to get a lot of his metal news from. This is a, a troubling development, Ryan. But not to worry. I've got one of my demon friends on the case. Oh, sorry. Bankrupticus. Bankrupt oh, Bankrupticus. He is an authority on the unholy tome of the damned, especially chapters 7 and 11. He's rifling through there right now to find loopholes and ways to help lift this company out and raise funds and hopefully pay back creditors and back taxes. Because <laughs> you got it. No, no, yeah, you got no. Like they, 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 you know, a lot of people stuff. Yeah, I'm not an authority on the British tax collecting services. I don't even know what the hell their name is. But <laughs> tax collecting. I think I think that's the name. Actually, I think they're Burrs, the British Internal Revenue Service. <laughs> Burrs. Yeah. Well, seriously, if you lose Metal Hammer, where is your metal news going to come from? Because I, I don't think you've ever cited something not from Metal Hammer. From hell. Of course. But specifically, we're not sure yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you find something because we don't want to lose Metal Minute just because we lost no, this yeah, magazine. No, yeah, I mean, there's, there's Kerrang! magazine, but never really been a fan of theirs. Metal Hammer always seemed to have the pulse on a lot more underground and cool stuff. But... I don't know. We're going to have to remedy this. Maybe maybe Metal Dave should have a publication of his own. Ooh, I like this. Yeah. Metal Dave's Metal Magazine. Something like that. I don't know. Really we should crowdfund it. There you and go. And have a, a video that we kind of work on, but not too much. But yeah, don't spend too much money. And yeah. you want to message your fans directly on Facebook. Yeah, so I'll ask you for money. In fact, I'm just going to cut out the middle, but it ask you for money. And just have me fund the whole thing, right? Yes. You know you want to. Well, I mean, does it have to be a print magazine? Because I could get you, like, a nice WordPress site for five bucks. No. Let's, uh, all right. Well, that's uh, sort of the sad news of the day. So a, a moment of a metal silence for a Metal Hammer magazine. That's that's metal silence. Yes. All right. Thanks very much, Metal Dave. We don't go in for pansy ass silence, Ryan. Oh, okay, good. Not like what you do. 
that voodoo that you do. I don't know. It just popped in my head. <laughs> you just want to be able to say voodoo and you do. Anyway, right. I'm going to go ahead and take off. And I think I'm just going to take the show with me. Oh, yeah? Because that's the power I have. All right? And we're, we're going to go to the bar, get some screwdrivers, figure out this Phillips head conundrum. We'll see what the Lord Satan himself says on it. <laughs> anyway, bye. Bye.